Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by State Farm. Look, as you guys know, I tend to give it to you straight. And while I know a lot of things, I also know there are times when I need to lean on others for help. When it comes to insurance, State Farm is the one I count on. I love that they make insurance easy. You can monitor your coverage, pay your bill, or even file a claim with our app, which was just awarded Best Insurance Mobile App of 2019. And thanks to their network of 19,000 agents, you'll have someone local to walk you through options and help you choose a policy that truly meets your needs versus cookie-cutter coverage. But what I appreciate most is that they don't mess around. They don't bother with gimmicks or games, just helpful guidance you can rely on. Go out and get the insurance you deserve. Get State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get a quote or find an agent at statefarm.com. And now, The Day Chang Show. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Doma Media. Thanks to Yola Tango, as always. This week is our second installment of Too Small to Fail series. Second installment because, frankly, there's a lot to discuss this week. From the beginning, the restaurant community has been warning people that there are going to be massive closures. It's going to get bleak before it gets better. And I don't know if people or the world at large believed us, but it's happening now. This week, Chris Yang and I speak to three people in charge of restaurants that have closed permanently. Chef Lincoln Carson of Bon Temps, Eric Bost of Auburn, both in Los Angeles, and the CEO of my own restaurant group, Marguerite Mariscal. You'll hear Marge talk about how we made the incredibly hard decision this week to close two of our restaurants permanently and move another one. Um, very, very... Uh, near and dear to me, but uh, I think it's important that we talk about it and, you know, try not to get emotional here. But first, we will talk to Chef Lincoln Carson of Bon Temps, um, was named one of Esquire's best new restaurants in 2019 and one of the most beloved, most well-respected, most experienced chef of his generation. Here you go, Lincoln Carson. Well, thank you again for joining us here on on the pod. I, I know this is a a crazy, crazy tumultuous time, and you know, first and foremost, I, I want to say I, and I, you know, I know Dave feels the same, but you know, hearing about your restaurant closing was just gutted us gutted me and and like I, I said to you in my email i dave and i had both been spending a lot more time in la the last year and i, I swear everybody i spoke to who who even knew uh, had halfway decent taste was telling me i had to come to your spot and you know i know it's no consolation but i i, I was really sorry to hear you close so i appreciate it i mean i think um it's been a tough year, you know, first year of any restaurant and, and to have all of the hard work that, and, you know, starting to see a lot of the attention coming in and, you know, all of the other, um, things that go along with that. It, it was kind of gutting. I mean, I also for the, for the, for the staff more than anything else. Yeah. So can I ask, I, I think that, um, 
from the very beginning of this crisis and pandemic and beginning with the closures and, and shelter-in-place orders, uh, restaurant owners around the country have been sort of banging their fists on the table saying, this is terrible. We are going to close. And I, I just feel like people didn't believe it. And then when you closed, it was among the first big signs that like, this is not, uh, this is, <laughs> this is not a false alarm. This is really going to close restaurants that people love. And can, can I ask you a little bit about the decision specifically, uh, like, you know, I leading to, to closing now and, and what went into your, your thought process versus, I don't know, trying to limp along or, or do, or, or stay open in some other way or use PPP or anything like that? Right. Um, I mean, to back up a little bit, you know, I, I saw this coming a couple of weeks out, I think the beginning of March and we saw, uh, reservations affected pretty dramatically. Um, you know, like not quite a light switch, but almost. Um, and we had made the decision to suspend operations prior to being ordered to suspend operations until we saw what was going on, because I was obviously spending a lot more money to stay open than not. Um, and going into that week, um, it was awful. You know, having to put everyone on temporary uh, layoffs, trying to manage, um, you know, the sort of semi-closure of a restaurant, having 40 employees down to zero. And I, at, at the end of the week, I decided I needed to do something, mostly for my own sanity. And I saw how my neighbors in that little community are being affected as well. So we put together a small um, impromptu bake sale. And that actually felt right. And at that point, we decided, hey, let's let's try and figure out some way to make something happen, no matter what the scale is, over the next you know next weeks. And at that point, you're also making decisions daily, right? Like we had such a little information to go on. Um, economically, financially, it it wasn't making a, a lot of money, but it was enough to keep my salary to back of the house managers on and get them off of unemployment. Um, it was enough to pay for the healthcare for our employees that were all furloughed. And, you know, we went through it for about five or six weeks um, or up until the decision made. And the decision process came about looking at what we were losing in fixed costs, what we were losing in, um, in revenue, how much money my investor had put into this from the very beginning. Because we hadn't hit year one yet, obviously. Um, we were just touching the occasional break-even point, and I felt like, you know, February was actually a really good month for us. And looking at um, the rest of the year, I, I thought we were on the on the right trend. We were going to get there. Um, but my investor is not very well diversified. There's a lot of money in restaurants and the restaurant industry, and for us being. Um, so new, having so much money put into it already and not knowing what was to come. And, you know, I'm counting seats in this restaurant, looking at, you know, a, a bar that used to seat 12 is now going to seat four, looking at six foot clearances, looking at all the communal tables that have to go away, looking at um, where does this really leave us? How, you know, we had a lot of party businesses. I'm sure you guys did a lot of private parties, you know, that weren't going to come back. Um, it really came about from how much more was going to have to go in to keep it afloat and having it be the big unknown, um, and, and just doing the numbers. And it was certainly not a decision that came from the heart. It was a, a decision that came from a 
uh, financial um, model and and looking at the viability of that and how much sense should it make. Can I ask, I, I know this is going to sound like a dumb question, but removing the heart aspect of it, removing how the, the painful aspect of it, can I ask about that financial, just the math, just the numbers, that part of the decision? Was that was there was it a gray area or was it pretty black and white as as far as what needed to be done? I mean, I think from the point of view of um, our accountants, it was very black and white. I mean, for me, I have a very hard time removing the, the hard aspect of it because I literally live next door to the restaurant. I made it my life for the past couple of years. Um, you know, I, I think you could count on two hands the number of days off I've taken over the past year, and you know, my daughter's grown up there. So the, it, it was not a decision that comes easily to me. Um, and it certainly wasn't a hundred percent my decision, but I understand it. And I think, you know, knowing how many other people can be, let's say saved in other businesses because there's so much less money to keep us going. And, and would we be able to keep it afloat on the revenue we'd be generating or would it be a, a downward spiral and continuing to lose that? Um, you guys are still next door to the restaurant then now, like living. Uh, yeah, I'm hiding out with a couple of friends up in the country. Um, okay. As soon as we shut it down and we were done with the closing process, we packed the family up in the car and came up to a uh, veritable paradise, um, <laughs> in the, in the hills and, you know, just trying to lay low a little bit and lick our wounds. Hey chef, it's, uh, it's Dave Chang here. Um, when you were looking at the table and thinking about the future, as we all are in the restaurant industry, about what that looks like, um, even in good times, it's been difficult. And again, I don't know if people understand that first year of a restaurant is crucial because uh, it takes a minimum six months to sort of find your footing. And it almost always takes about a year. And obviously, with your pedigree and what you know, it was never a question of lack of expertise you know, it was it was just like give it time, and everyone I know puts you in the highest uh, regards of being one of the very best. So, you know, Bon Temps was a restaurant that I wanted to check out. Unfortunately, the past year I, I had to spend a little bit more time because my wife gave birth in New York City, and that prevented me from checking things out as much as I'd like to. But you know, we have a restaurant downtown that's currently closed, and we're we've been trying to figure out what the economics looks like. But before you get there. What were some of the things you've been asking yourselves with the six feet away and how do you even do things like taste food? And did you, did you go through like all the, the, the rabbit hole uh, of what that even looks like? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think even before, um, we started talking about, and, and you start hearing the noise from, from the politicians, right. Of like, well, this is what restaurants are going to need to do to reopen. I think even before that, you know, one of the first things that came to mind for me and, and knowing how hard hit everyone, restaurant industry or other industry, was going to be, um, you know, what the world doesn't need is another expensive restaurant right now. And I think we were really looking hard at what our model was and how we could really make it more inclusive, more approachable, arms wide open for any kind of experience that you wanted to come to a restaurant for. Um and I'm not saying I don't think we were an expensive restaurant, but I think we had the perception of, um, you know, having a lot of luxury ingredients available on the menu. I mean, I think that time we were looking at that as 
pulling away from that aspect and, and, and maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know, approachable keeps coming to mind, right? And that was purely from a concept point of view. And then I started looking at the dining room and physically counting like, okay, this, this table that has sat parties of 18 is now going to be untenable. What do we do with that? This other table that seats parties of 12 in the wine room and the wine room designed to be, you know, really much more of a PDR space or, um, you know, large party space. How do we make that work? Because I'm going to be losing physically. It's not just cutting your seats in half because of your layout of your restaurant. You may be cutting them far below that. Um, we were fortunate to have a large outdoor seating area, which I think would have been a good draw, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the models that also would have had to have changed is really shifting to, to go and shifting to trying to basically take whatever business we could, we could muster up. And it, it, it wasn't time to sit down with a concept that, no, this is the concept. This is the direction that we're going to stick, stick with. This is what we, what we planned. And it was more about what will work in this new, in this new environment, not what do we want to make work. I mean, part of it is too, is like the, the kinds of foods, uh, you know, we had Wiley Dufresne on a couple, couple weeks ago and it's like, do I want to be making this kind of food in this kind of environment? Is that even meaningful and brings me joy? Um, you know, and that's what I've been asking myself with my own team. It's like, okay, um, again, we might make sloppy joes, but basically that's what we have to get excited about making every day. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you muster up the incur, you know, the, 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 the spirit to be like, okay, let's, let's do a thousand portions of sloppy joes and coleslaw. And there's nothing wrong with that, but like, that's a different kind of business than what you got in this for. But also I, I know if you're not in the business, you're not going to understand that we have this resolve and the ability to adapt. It's not about not adapting. It's just like what is even possible to do on a day-in, day-out basis with the ability to pay out your bills and your rent and your fixed costs. I just don't, I just don't have any answers either. And you know, some people are like, yeah, you got to evolve. It's simple. You got to do whatever you can. I was like, that's what we always do anyway. Yeah. And I think one of the frustrating things about this is everything that we do in a normal scenario of of things going sideways and i mean look you're in new york you you're from new york i i was there for 9 11 i i i, I, I look at those parallels and i think you know the biggest difference is like something when that happened we knew what we had to do within three days and yeah. you knew what the plan was going to be and this is such an ever-evolving thing and there's so many questions still can and you talk about point, that like th that 9 11 experience too it's like when that happened, I remember being in service and like, oh, I was like AM prep. And were you at La Bernadette then? No, I was at the uh, W in Union Square. Uh, oh, yeah. We're, so we were right there. I was at Kraft. And I mean, like, do you remember? Like, it took like, what, two and a half years for a business to get back to normal with, hot, with tourism, though, I felt like. It took a while. Yeah, I, it was, and I remember having to make some very, very hard, quick decisions about our staffing levels, and you know, looking at you know who are we providing to, and making changes in your cuisine to to work within that realm. Uh, you know, and and to your point now, do I want to make a thousand sloppy joes? Um, no, I don't. But you know, I also it, there's got to be a way to 
do this thing that we love to do. And no matter what, how many people, um, there's been some interesting <laughs> online conversations, um, social media conversations, about how many people think, well, you know, rich restaurant owners or successful restaurateurs, you know, you guys can just do whatever you want. Um, I don't think people understand just how tight it is and why we got in this in the first place. I mean, I didn't do battle in kitchens for as many years as I did because I thought I was going to make a lot of money doing it. It's because I loved the craft. I loved what we do. Um, and I want to still love what we do and feel comfort in it and, and pride in, in bringing it to people. Yeah. I am at a loss for words. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly sorry. Um, because I know how much you poured into this project and the, and the fact that it's not going to be there for you to come back to, uh, is going, it, it just, it crushes me because, you know, we have to close some spots down ourselves and, um, I can't, I, I just, this is going to be a story you're going to read every day for a long time unfortunately. So yeah. I don't, I, w I wish we had better answers. I, I, I don't, uh, I just feel like we need to have these conversations because this is the, this is the reality. Are, are you having conversations chef with, um, other, other people in the industry? How, 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 how in touch with, um, you know, former and, and current colleagues are you? Um, very, I mean, they make up, yeah. Most of my list of best friends are all in the industry, right? Go to battle with each other for a long enough period of time. It's, it's hard. It's hard not to congregate those people. I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm holed up in Santa Inez with two chefs I've got 20 years of history with, um, and our families. And yeah, I mean, we talk about it every night. I mean, I think some of the opportunities maybe are going to be in this world where there has to be physical space between people, there's probably going to be physical space between restaurants and, and businesses. And just, there are going to be fewer of them. Um, maybe the opportunity is in places that don't have so many right now to begin with. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, we talk about it all the time and we're all feeling like there's just not enough information. We don't know enough about what this world continues to look like is there a vaccine coming that suddenly makes this not an issue in two years um or is this something we just need to get used to as our new reality um jeff did you apply for ppp we did um you know and that that also figured into it and looking at what the requirements were for paying it back and you know the reality when i looked at the number of employees i had and how many we would have to bring back on and what the requirements for forgiveness were, it penciled out to like 7% forgiveness, which, okay, it was a 1% loan. That's, that's solid. That's somebody like, that's, that's a great term for loan, but paying it back in two years when you haven't even broken even on your original four and a half million dollar investment. I mean, how do you do that? Yeah. Do you know anyone that feels good about the PPP program? Any of your, your colleagues and friends? No, not one. Hmm. I mean, I think if it's a restaurant that's already been paid for, I think if you were already in the black, you know, there, there's some hope there. Um, but that wasn't my reality. Do you know anyone that's like, I want to say word optimistic, but they're like, there are opportunities here. They, they can feel like good about doing anything, you know, because, 
you know, I, I don't want to name names, but there's some restaurant owners that are busy because they're doing takeaway and the delivery and they have like multiple, multiple locations. And I just, for me, I wonder about the safety, but I also wonder, it's like, you know, how sustainable is that? Because um, once restaurants get back online, this is like my real concern is while you have some places that are doing well and they've been able to not furlough anybody, what happens when everyone gets back online because, you know, Governor Newsom's going to do this, there's going to be protocols, hopefully they're going to subsidize PPE and all of these things. What happens when everyone starts doing the same thing, takeaway and delivery? I think it starts canceling everything out. And um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out in different cities and trying to come up with solutions. And I just, I want to know, like, do you know anyone that has like a, like a plan in place that makes sense for the next six months, even when the doors open up again? Because that's one thing you sort of can prepare for. No. I mean, I think... I think there are those restaurants that have pivoted and are doing tremendous takeaway uh, business and they do have all of their employees in place, but they were already the restaurants that were incredibly busy. So, I mean, I can only speak to the group of, of chefs and restaurateurs that I'm really tight with and friends with. And most of, you know, all of them really, their, their business was, their businesses were based upon hospitality, not to go. And, Sure, there's another revenue stream that you can you could start to um, enable, which would hopefully make you know some of these margins that we've been dealing with a little bit less. But I don't know anyone that ever designed a restaurant to do that. Mm. You know, it's always been about the experiential. It's been about the grand idea, right? It's been about people breaking bread at a table together. Chef, you've you've been around the business for a while. You've seen a lot of different kinds of restaurants. You've opened a lot of restaurants um, as part of other groups. You've, you know, you more than most have seen the inner workings of this business. Did does any of this what's happened in the last couple of months surprise you, or was this all always coming in some form or fashion? Um. I mean, I, I honestly think I was so optimistic about just if we do really, really good work and we work really hard and, you know, we, we try and treat people with dignity and respect and hire nice people. I mean, I thought that that would be the tipping point, right? Like work harder, learn from your mistakes, do better and just care more and you know, I think maybe I was a little too optimistic because you don't see how precarious it is. And I, I have opened a lot of restaurants with other people and for other people. But I will say that nothing compares to how difficult opening your own restaurant and just trying to be the positive voice through some, some dark days every day um, is. Yeah, I mean... Corey, Corey Lee said this on the very first episode of, of Too Small to Fail. It's, you know, as a chef, you are asked a hundred plus questions a day at the very least, and you can always give a, a pretty good detailed answer as to, you know, what to do. And this is the, the hardest part, I think, being a chef is to say, I don't, I, I literally have no idea what, what's going to be the case. And, and, uh, and people are expecting us to do so. And, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, 
I'm asking the same questions. It's it's like you got in the business for the for the community, the hospitality, and um, how do you remain optimistic to, to so that's going to be around? So I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, what do you think the future is going to be? Like, how do we make sure that we don't lose the things that you care about? What do you think we can do to ensure that these things? continue when there is a vaccine or a therapeutic that works and we rebuild because I don't want there to be a lost generation. We've gone too far to get to this point. Well, clearly we need more information and clearly we need more understanding of what our operational day-to-day could be, what the rules are. We don't know what the new rules are, right? I mean, nothing's been defined yet. And it's, it's, it's hard to paint a picture or to, to work inside a box when the box hasn't been built. Um, Clearly, we need some understanding from our government, from our elected officials, that we're a unique industry and we're not being treated that way. We're being treated with a, a, you know, a, a one fix for all kind of an approach. And when you start looking at the job numbers, you start looking at how many people have been laid off and you look at how disproportionate that is based off of the hospitality industry um, and compare that to some of the other bailouts that have happened in the past and are going on currently. I mean, we need government that works for us and us being the hospitality industry. We need to, pe- we need people to wake the fuck up. Honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Chef, I, I'm I'm feeling really bad about dragging you <laughs> onto this call on a Saturday morning to take you down into the the mire here, and and I know you've got a small kid there, and I don't want to eat up the the time you could be spending with your kids. So, I guess the my only question is, you know, you said you're 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 holed up with a couple of other chef friends that you've known for decades. Is there any? Are you finding? Are you guys finding any joy still in in cooking together and um yes. being together that way? One hundred percent. I think. Hospitality for us has taken a new turn in how much we can support each other and our families. Or outcook each other, right? Or try to or try to up one up each other at all? Any of that going on? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think it's really been about thoughtfulness and and care for one another. Yeah, and you know some of the neighbors around here. Um, and we're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So they're the quarantine, what quarantine looks like out here are families that just don't go anywhere and there aren't very many of them. So, um, it's really been about providing hospitality for and, and thoughtfulness for, for those in your community, and, which is what I essentially was trying to do with a bake sale too in downtown LA. Yeah. I think that's what you guys are always trying to do no matter where you go. Um, and, and, you know, that's the, loveliest part of your business um well chef i i I thank you again um you know i i do feel speechless like i i have admired from afar so much what you've been doing i know dave does too and um you know i'll say I'm, i'm still looking forward to to eating your food when this is all over so i look forward to that day some form or fashion thanks thank thank you so much and keep your chin up thanks chef be safe and uh again i I appreciate you coming on like it was tough because i just told chris right before we came on that we're closing like sambar down and uh i'm sorry 
yeah, you know, it's just uh, so you know. My heart goes out to you. I, I can't imagine. Also, this is your 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 own restaurant. This go around, and it's not right. It's not fair. And um, you know, um, I want to make sure I can do whatever I can to make sure we come out the other side, uh, and we have an opportunity to to do it again. Agreed. Thanks, Chef. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Chef Carson. I can't imagine how hard it has been for you not getting to find your rhythm the first year and then to have COVID-19 come. And, uh, you know, you're right. We're going to need to sort of salvage and make sure that the idea of hospitality continues on. And I hope the best for you and you and your family and your friends to land on your feet on a new project. Um, The next interview is from Another Los Angeles chef, Eric Bost from Auburn Restaurant that was just uh, just won one of the GQ's best new restaurants of 2020. And uh, Eric is a hyper-talented chef, amazing pedigree, similar to Chef Carson, just trying to find that rhythm that first year. The first year of opening a restaurant is is, uh, brutal because you need to be sort of firing on all cylinders, yet pivoting sort of every day and finding your voice and rhythm and uh, kudos to chef Eric and again to chef Lincoln for closing out uh, the best way possible. Um, And again, I I hope that they find new opportunities as soon as possible. Uh, So here's my conversation with chef Eric boss. All right. Uh, well, I appreciate you joining on uh, such a short notice. Um, when I when I read the the closure of Auburn, I was like, man, I called Ying. I was like, we have to we have to get him on because uh, I never got the chance to eat at Auburn. We we did meet once, I think, maybe like while you were in construction. Yeah, we did. I came out to eat with Walter Mansky. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, just after you had opened. And um, you know, I'm very familiar with that space, and I was excited because of your sort of everyone knew who you were and what you were wanted to do and it was a it was a real buzz and excitement and and I, I again I can't imagine the 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 intense bitter sweetness of getting uh uh what you won GQ best new restaurant we did we were on that list that came out Monday and uh you closed last week yeah we we made the decision to close on Monday there a week ago. And so I had informed the team over Wednesday, went through all the closing procedure last week. So what was the, what was the thought process? Um, I mean, what led to that decision? So, I mean, I think to answer that, I have to go all the way back to the opening of the restaurant. So we, we had just hit our one year anniversary and, you know, coincidentally our one year anniversary was the day that, that we were mandated to shut service. So going into to this project, um, I was fairly new to LA. I'd been at Republic for, for a year working with Walter. I'd been looking at spaces. I found a partner um, who was incredibly supportive, who, who had big dreams like me, who saw the potential in that space and knew that space from before. Um, and we, we pushed hard. I thought, you know, we, we wanted to create something that felt unique that felt it had a place uh, in Los Angeles that, that looked towards fine dining, 
um, from an execution level, but that was much more open and, and removed rules and, and had more energy and, and just kind of moved away from like a, into a newer version maybe. Um, and so, so knowing that we, we went in, obviously construction took much longer than we had planned. Um, you know, delays with the city, we had delays with construction, we had delays with opening and, you know, with all that starts to mound up, uh, increased debt. So something that was, was a bigger budget than we initially planned. Um, but you know, at the, at that time we, we accepted it and we, we figured that we would just, we, we would make it work and we were going to move forward. Um, however, it's kind of looming over us the whole time. So in that year, you know, it, I think we were still yelling at the world that we existed right up until we opened. It's, it's very difficult to build awareness. It's, it's a challenge. We had a great team to help us and we had, we had a ton of positive feedback and positive support along the way. And, and we continued to evolve and grow and, and, you know, the menu was finding its place and the team was getting its legs. Um, the bigger we grew, the more challenged we had. So, you know, I made the decision kind of to focus on the essentials um, later in the year, last year. And we started to improve. And January was was really good. February was the best month we had ever. And then, so this all happened second week in March. Um, leading up to it, I think like everyone, we, that week we saw uh, an incredible decline in reservations. We knew something big was coming. We knew we were going to have to shut down. We were we were in the same timeline with the city mandates anyway that, that we were projecting for that. Um, you know, and then that first week of closure was really set to try and understand the health of the business, like where we were at, what is our cash flow? Like how much money do we have in the bank? What are our options moving forward? And then what are the best ways to, to see this thing through to the other side? And the way we were looking was basically protect the team. We wanted to make sure that we provided health insurance for everyone that was on our health insurance plan. And that we, we gave to everyone who was a full-time employee with us. So that was huge. Make sure that in this time of uncertainty, they felt some sense of comfort. Um, you know, not leave anyone short. So we weren't going to take on too much debt that we couldn't repay and, and not like never file for bankruptcy and never get, go down that path. Um, and then just make, you know, try and survive this thing. And so we took that first week to understand our options. We went into curbside delivery or curbside pickup, actually. Um, limited focus menu. I brought on just my, my key team. So I had a, my CDC and my pastry chef, uh, one front of the house manager the first week. Uh, and started to do, you know, menus through talk, which, which was a system for even for talk, which was super new. But, um, you know, some of our colleagues were, were using it and they were doing well. And, and, you know, obviously whatever income that's coming in is going to help offset the losses. So plus I, I, no one knew what this was going to look like. So I thought it was, you know, we had to go in and, and figure out what, you know, what options for the long term um, were there. And, and, so this curbside pickup was a was a good a good thing, and and that worked. And the first week was okay, and the second week got better. So we brought in one more sous chef. The next week got better, um, you know. And then we expanded to like to sort of cook croissants at your own house kind of thing that we had prepared. And Chef Diane had frozen, you know, the day before, and so people go home and proof it. And just another experience and another kind of touch point for the restaurant. And we we had other ideas, you know. We started produce boxes from from a really good farmer who who's been supportive with us from, from the beginning and from San Diego. Um, we, we had other things planned, you know, bakery baskets coming in the works. We had a lower price point stuff. So we, we were looking at all the options, um, as time went along, but that's kind of how the lead up went to, uh, trying to be flexible and trying to adapt. One question. How, how did you handle PPE and safety protocol? Well, I, we ordered masks as quickly as we could and they were backlogged, but they showed up, but you know, 
we already have very, it's a new build. I, I, we have very strict procedures anyway about cleanliness and sanitizer buckets. And, um, you know, so everyone put on a mask right away. It's the one reason to keep a skeleton crew on this was first to keep labor costs in line as much as possible and make it make sense. And second was that I wanted to not have an environment where people had to come to potentially get them sick, potentially get uh, any of our guests sick. So we were doing take home meals. You know, people trust us about cleanliness, so we did everything we could. So we we sanitized every day when we went in. We were sanitizing throughout service. We were obviously wearing masks and, and gloves whenever we're handing stuff. And, and moreover, we were doing meals for um, hospitals as well. And I mean, you imagine like that's a that's a heavy weight to hold where you're going to prepare something. Someone's been doing their diligence uh, throughout their entire day to help other people. So it was certainly you know we need to make sure we were doing everything we could to that to to provide self safe and uh, and healthy food. So to, I guess to Chang's original question, and, you know, forgive my bluntness, but, uh, you know, what happened? <laughs> like, did you, it, with closing, what was happened? it was it a factor of not reaching the numbers you hoped to reach with takeout? Or was there always just a limit to how long you could pull that off? Or Yeah, I, I mean, I think there was always a limit. Like, because there's only so much cash in the bank. And, and again, young restaurant, a year in, over budget and, and a mountain of debt that we need to repay. And already, you know, <laughs> when we're doing well, again, January and February, best months ever. Friday sold out, Saturday sold out. And then the week is a little bit slower. And you're, you're always trying to figure out how do I make this sustainable and operate? And, and we were just getting to that point, honestly. So, you know, I think looking at this on the other side, it was, how do we reinvent ourselves to make this function in, a, in an unknown market? And I was already looking at, you know, we're a tasting menu driven restaurant. I have 105 seats, 75 in a dining room and another 30 in the bar. And the bar was a la carte, but that's never going to sustain the entire restaurant. It's really the crux of like the, the essence of the restaurant was its dining room. Um, so already we're not like, we're, we're not at capacity on every day of the week. So, you know, we're already challenged in there. And I think it, it just became insurmountable. It just kind of, this debt suffocated the business to where we couldn't go on. And, and again, we made the decision we don't want to declare bankruptcy. So we didn't want to leave anyone short. That trickles down. If we don't pay our suppliers, our suppliers are going to have trouble making their bills. They might not pay their farmers. They might not pay their fishermen. They're, you know, and, and this is was never a way we wanted to do. The risk was not worth that much impact to our community. Um, so, yeah. It's a, I didn't expect to get so emotional talking to you um, because I immediately, maybe if you don't want to work in the restaurants and you don't open up a restaurant, you may not understand or be able to empathize everything you just said. And uh, first of all, my heart goes out to you your team and your investors for making the right decision uh, for the community uh, as, as hard as it was for you. And I, I just don't know if people understand your, your credentials of how you got to have this restaurant Auburn and, and how beautiful it was. And everyone I know spoke glowingly about it. It was incredibly well-reviewed and people loved it. And I couldn't wait to go myself. And I, I mean, that's me as a fan, but me as someone that's in a business that has, has, has been in your shoes and is in your shoes right now, it's, it's heartbreaking to say the least. And, you know, part of this is just wanting me to let people know this restaurant was a success because it takes about a year, six months at minimum to figure out what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, <laughs> and and you just said it. You're you're finding your groove right now, and man, I, I 
I'm so I'm I'm just I'm just so I'm just so fucking sorry, man. I I, I, I appreciate I just, it. It's it's so much effort and work, and and it, it's it's devastating to know like unrealized potential. Or it's just the beginning. Like it, it was in its infancy. You know, at the same time, we we take lessons learned out of everything, and 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 so you know, every day was like trying to figure out how the next day was better, and so today, where we sit today is trying to figure out how to make tomorrow better. You know. Did you did you apply for the PPP? Yeah, we did, and and honestly, we got it. But it it's not like a one size fits all solution. It's doesn't come without its uncertainty. You know, when, when we got it, basically, you know, I was like, yeah, let's just hire everyone back, and and then everything gets kind of forgiven. But it doesn't work out like that. And and we had CPAs on it for you know, two days to try and figure out what the nuances are, and, and we still don't know exactly how it's going to work in the end. So. You know, back to the earlier question of, of kind of how we dealt with curbside was let's build this micro business. Let's make it, you know, survive on its own. I, I don't want to lose. I don't want to use all of this money. And and we had to use some of it to help offset um, some costs. But we didn't go in it thinking, you know, OK, now we can pay all our staff and here's free rent because because I don't really think that's the way it works out for restaurants. Now, the inverse was we could see that as sort of a capitalization in the reopening. Right. It's a loan that has one percent interest. And it needs to be repaid and it's short terms, but it's a 1% interest loan. And in a time where you have debt and there's, you know, there's uncertainty, then capital is, is, is great to have. It gives you some, some support. But then it goes back to that other point of we're not going to, we're not going to leave anyone short and we're not going to declare bankruptcy. So what happens in six months, you know, in an uncertain future and we're, we're still challenged. And if we, if we get to that point that we can't make it in six months. And now we've used up this whole other loan. And now what do we do if we default on that loan? And like, where, where does that leave us? And, and we honestly, it was down to that. We cannot put ourselves in that situation. Can you explain to that again? Because again, you talked about the murkiness of PPP and uh, it's, it's uh, a lot of it's difficult because a lot of it was left open-ended by the government. Um, right. And you, you said it yourself. What if you use this in good faith that I hope everyone is and then you still go out of business. How do you know you're not going to be liable to the government, you know, in some some way that you couldn't foresee? And man, like, this is why I'm so fucking pissed about this is because people need this, but they don't know how. And right. of course, there's criticism because like, hey, you should just hire everyone back. No one's no one's saying that shouldn't happen. Can you elaborate a little bit more as to why that's not necessarily the case? Because it's much more nuanced than that. Yeah, I think it is nuanced. At first, I mean, there's a calculator out there about how much percentage you're going to be forgiven. So, you know, if we went in, we had, let's say, 50 staff and we hire, you know, 50% of our staff back, then we're only going to get forgiven on 50% of that. And you need to use, you know, 75% goes to staff, 25% can go to, to fixed expenses like rent and some other overhead charges. Um you obviously don't want a bunch of people standing around not doing anything. And, and you don't really want to pay people to sit at home because they're getting unemployment. I, th- I think in essence, and I'm not like, I'm certainly not the voice against PPP because I'm sure it's being used in some, some instances. And, you know, even up to last week, the, <laughs> there's this whole second round that went through. And, and there, I, I talk to as many colleagues as I can, as often as I can to understand like other people's approaches and, and what works. And, you know, it still runs the spectrum. There's people who don't want to use it. And there's people who are going to go, go for a gung ho and see, put, you know, put as much money in the bank as they can and um, try and weather the storm. So 
for us, we made the decision early to to look at it like a loan to reopen. And then as this thing progressed and got murkier, it's it, it was not not the good pass. So, you know, it, in hindsight, it's still I, I still don't know today if like what the best way to use that is. And I think that's that's back to the uncertainty. Like the, if there was clear guidelines, if there was some sort of resources to say, um, you know, some some comfort, I guess, because you're making decisions. You're making decisions every day on like this vast spectrum of information and you don't know where you're going to land and, and you try and use your experience and use your best judgment, but there, there's still this massive unknown. It's so it's, you know, I, this is an awful time, chef, but like what you're talking about right now gets at the crux of everything that you know, Chang talks to me about on this show, late at night, off the air, constantly, just and I don't want people to misinterpret this, so I'll try to say it carefully, but you know, I think I I commend you on being able to make a really impossible decision when nobody is giving you a clear path. When you're not getting it's not like choose between A and B, chef. It's there's A, B through right. Z, and you're at least making a decision here. Um and, and this is the you know, I I I'm sort of getting the sense that you could have hobbled along longer. You could have kept trying more takeout things. I think a lot of people are hobbling along, trying to outlast this moment. And, you know, I, I think, like I said, this is something that Chang and I talk about, and he talks about as the trolley car problem, right? You have to make a choice one way or another. You can't just ride it. And, and you know, I'm, I can't imagine how difficult this all was for you, but like, it seems like you had clear eyes about choosing to close and knowing there was, you know. I mean, it's bittersweet. It certainly was not an easy decision. And it took a lot of analysis and a lot of like, just experience living through it. But, um, you know, I still think back, what, what if we didn't, you know, what if we could continue? And, and you know, that's that's hard to deal with, too, because we're always looking at what are the other options, the way this could have panned out. And I don't think anyone will know for months or years or, you know, when everything starts to stabilize. But kind of had to put focus and effort towards towards trying to figure out what's next i think well i i again you know i deepest sympathy and and really admiration from me and i know chang and you know i i from an outside perspective i know i spent a lot of time with chefs and restaurateurs but you know hearing the two of you speak about this right now you know i i think i've heard a couple of things that really stood out to me as why it's in, why restaurants you know we keep on trying to convince the public of like why this matters beyond just like a cool restaurant closing and you know chang in the very beginning said like i know that building i haven't gotten to go to auburn yet but i know your restaurant space and that space has been a restaurant for four straight businesses right that that building has always been a restaurant yeah and restaurants anchor physical spaces in our community they hold these places down they they tend to take up they tend to pay exorbitant <laughs> rents because they're beautiful things you want in your community you know your restaurant is not just a place to eat it's so much more than that and that it's recognizable as a space and important as a space and then something you said was people trust us you know people trust us to provide them a safe experience and you know that's that's something that we're all nobody's trust anything at this point right now We've had this conversation a couple of times on this show just about I, I intrinsically trust chefs <laughs> and to go above and beyond, right? 
even when you're not getting directions on how to be safe, what the right PPE is, all of this stuff, you are going to go above and beyond. I know Chang is going to go above and beyond. And and that's, you need that as a foundation of a, a society is, is this trust. Um, and, and that's the scariest thing I feel like we're, we're, we're going to lose here. So that's just my, you know, rant. Yeah. Chef, Eric, how, yeah. what's next? Um, you know, for me, it's trying to first figure out what is going to make sense. I mean, I, I love creating business. I mean, it's, this is my first restaurant. I've opened a couple of restaurants for other chefs. Um, but for me, it, you know, the whole process of like experiential design from a guest perspective, the design of the physical building to, you know, figure putting the team together to, to going through the process of, of hiring and training and, and like the whole guest interaction, um, it, it gives me a ton of enjoyment. It gives me, it, it's kind of what drives me forward. So um, I think really in the short term, it's probably finding a project or, or creating a project that, that fills a need. Um, that's not necessarily looking to build, you know, a restaurant for a 20 year lifespan. It's to look at something that um, is a little more flexible and a little more fluid and, and, you know, is obviously scalable, but there's, there's people who are looking for that experience. Now I'm always driven by, you know, quality and and uniqueness or personality or something that's identifiable so that's going to be the challenge so for me it's you know i'll find i'll hopefully find some some partners who are interested in in you know new ventures and and creation and and adapt you know well if 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 one of those partners potentially are listening what's the best way for them to to contact you um Probably email. I mean, I can throw my email out there. Throw, throw, throw out your email. Who gives yeah. a shit? What, yeah, what is right. It? Yeah. There you go. It's eric.f.bost at gmail.com. Spell, spell that out for everybody. Right. E-R-I-C dot F dot B-O-S-T at gmail.com. Please, you got you to gotta separate what happened from what you have. You have one of the best chefs around with, with an impeccable resume. That is vouched by his peers in his industry that had one of the best restaurants and most important restaurants in Los Angeles to, to not compromise on the integrity and technique, finesse and craftsmanship of dining in a very relaxed, beautiful environment. And that took a lot of balls to do. And I think we need, to, we need more of, of Chef Eric uh, out there, whether it's in Los Angeles or anywhere else. And um, man, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm so fucking sorry that this happened to you and it's going to happen to everyone. It's going to happen to me. You know what I mean? Like we're having some really hard conversations right now. And, um, I, I just don't know what else to say other than I hope you get another opportunity and I hope people flood your email box with wonderful (laughs) opportunities because we need your food back out in the world, chef. There you go. And, and I appreciate the super kind words, man. It's, it's tons of encouragement to keep pushing forward. I think that's that's a great affirmation for the team that that um, you speak so highly of it. I mean, they they work their asses off for this, so um, it's great to hear. And again, it's like this: the with the uncertainty is now opportunity, and that's like the biggest yeah. thing. How how do we take advantage of this? How do we learn? How do we build something that's better? Because that is essentially how we we maintain our industry. And so, yeah, that's my next focus. You know, Chris and I had Corey Lee on, and and and. You know, I, I wouldn't expect anything less than Corey to to not talk about his own restaurants, but to say, "Hey, you you better pay your fucking vendors and your farmers and your artisans that support you." And again, like 
man, if you if you're not in this business, you're never gonna know like the the bond that 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 takes place and 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 to make the right decision under duress, even when it costs you your job and your sort of sort of well-being in so many different ways, to make sure that you put others before you. And and that's integrity. And that's all you need to know about Auburn. It was full of integrity because that's how you lived your life and that's how you worked. And 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 there's so many people in this business, and I don't want that to get lost in all of this fucking bullshit that we're in. That that is the hope that we can't lose, and you decided to do the right thing to ensure future generations have an opportunity. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. During this time of change, we want you to know that ZipRecruiter's focus hasn't changed. They're still doing what they've always done, helping people find work and helping businesses find the people for their open roles. If you're looking for a job, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. They are dedicated to helping you get hired from caretaking to delivering food and goods to building medical facilities, supplying protective equipment, and so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need by connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people. ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let's work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Today's show is also brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon makes the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you'll ever wear. Their mission is to make sure that all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed with premium fabrics and shopping from them is easy and convenient. I'm a big fan of Mack Weldon. All of my socks and underwear is Mack Weldon. Very comfortable. I don't know if I could ever wear a different pair. And now that it's quarantine and listen... I'm basically wearing Mack Weldon 24-7, and Mack Weldon also values its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Mack Weldon Blue Loyalty Program. Here's how it works. Create an account, it's totally free, and then place an order for any amount and never pay for shipping again. That's an amazing offer. Once you purchase $200 worth of products from Mack Weldon, not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you will also start saving 20% on every order you make for the next year. The Weldon Blue Loyalty Program also grants you access to new products before they're released to anyone else, as well as free gifts added to future orders. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code CHANG. That's MacWeldon.com promo code CHANG. The last interview is with our CEO, Marguerite Mariscal. So, Marguerite, I think it's been like uh, six weeks or a month or something since we last all sat here and talked about this situation. I um, I know that the landscape has changed dramatically. I, I wanted to get a sense for what's what's happening. What's the latest with the Momofuku Group? What's um, what what have you guys been up to, and, and what's happening? Sure. Um, yeah, I can't believe it's been a month. Um, we. I think the last time we spoke, um, a lot of these programs were just coming out. Um, a lot of people were kind of figuring out what uh, May and June would look like. Um, I think we're now at a point where 
Um, unfortunately, we have to make some more lasting decisions just given how long uh, this this situation has gone on. Um, and I think just kind of seeing what, what has been provided to us by landlords, what's been provided us by partners, what's been provided us by the government, looking across the board at, at our support system and, and kind of understanding, not to say that, that those things won't potentially get better. You know, I, I have faith there's maybe some more, more programs and things to come, but with what we have, we now have to kind of make choices. So um, we are making the the very difficult decision to uh, basically uh, consolidate and and condense our footprint to be in a better spot to to come out of this. And you know, it's not that we don't have faith in the future of restaurants or in hospitality. I think we just need to hunker down and basically give each of our existing restaurants as much attention as we can as we sort out safety and and, and business models. I think being a restaurant group with uh, multiple restaurants, you know, we look at reopening as almost like opening. And so we're going to have to simultaneously open or, you know, not simultaneously stagger opening, you know, countless restaurants and new models and new forms with with new new labor models and and everything. So, we took a look and basically based on what and who we think would be the most successful of our properties, um, we're going to uh, do a couple of things. We're going to close um, Nishi uh, in uh, Chelsea in New York and CCDC, which is our restaurant in Washington, D.C. And we're going to move uh, Sambar, uh, which has been in these village for at this point, uh, 14 years and move it to uh, South Street Seaport, where we have a bar called Wyo. Um, so all of those decisions are are not easy at all, especially, I would say, CCDC, just, you know, leaving a city that we obviously um, have great and immense respect for and, and have, you know, over, God, at this point, five years built built a community around um, with some like amazing, amazing vendors um, and customers. And I think now we kind of have to figure out, you know, where can we deploy resources and, and how do we make a more uh, diversified uh, business model that's not just restaurants, but also complemented with these other pieces that, that we hope will better provide for our teams by not being so reliant on, on people dining within our spaces. Uh, man, I, uh, <laughs> I feel my, I really feel my heart sink when you, when you said that close, closing those restaurants. I mean, I know this is naive. But I'll say it anyway, because I think this is probably representative of what most people think. But the, the truth is, like, I, I I never thought that Momofuku, a group of your size and, and stature, would cl- close any restaurants during this. I know it sounds dumb, but I just I didn't think that would happen. Can you talk about why? Like, sure. how, like, the math and just why this is happening? Yeah. I mean, I, I think in Momofuku's history... Um, Dave, obviously correct me, but I think the only, we've only closed one restaurant in over 15 years, which, uh, yeah, that was my passion. That was for a decade. And we moved a lot of that staff, if not most of that staff, the goal was to move it to Time Warner. And we, we did a lot of that. Um, and that was just, we needed to redo the space and it wasn't worth, you know, putting a lot of money into a space that we could have elsewhere. And, this has been hard for me because I've been, it's been emotional for me because uh, I have to, you know, Marge is the decision maker and I'm, she's looking at it for long-term and what's best for the long-term. And it's not about not fighting 
because, you know, my, my instinct is always to like hunker down. Let's just do this. Let's find a way to pivot here, here, and here. And we are, this is actually the pivoting and, and for CCDC and for Nishi, you know, the, the, these are restaurants that are, are, you know, they're profitable and, you know, we've had a lot of debates about like, what do we do? Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do this. But then when we look at even the most conservative economics moving forward, it doesn't make sense. And then it's been the conversations with the landlords because these are wholly owned restaurants and we have conversations with landlords. And listen, I, I don't want to say anything other than I, I understand their decision. I don't respect their decisions. Um, I understand it. And if I was in their situation, maybe I could see a little bit differently, but there was just no give or take. And um, I'm still at war with this decision. It's not ever going to sit right with me. Um, And at the same, same time, I understand exactly why we need to do it. From a cerebral level, I definitely understand it. From an emotional level, it's never quit, ever. And um, yeah. That's basically it. And, and Sambar, in the same way, they're all the same thing as Sambar, you know? Um, Sambar is, is uh, it's very emotional for me. Um, I think, I think that when we were talking about it, I understand, again, like why, why we need to do it. Um, it's, that's been my life. So, Nishi, you know, CCDC, like, um, you know, I, I think it's slowly setting in. Um, and I know what we have to do. And it's part of it is just the, they're, they're all three different situations, but it's the same. On paper, it's Sambar is an incredibly profitable restaurant for us. Incredibly profitable for 14 plus years. And I think it's changed fucking restaurants on a global level. It's a goddamn important restaurant. And it's gone through so many evolutions from Fran Derby, from Tin Ho to Fran Derby to Ryan Miller to Tim Maslow, you know, to Matt Rudofker, Nick Wong, to Max Ang, and then Mark Ordaz. Um, it's been a living, breathing organism. CCDC's gone through so many changes. Nishi's gone through so many changes. And like a lot of loans <laughs> taken out for these restaurants. There was no investment. So personally, just being uh, leveraged and on the hook for these things for so long, has it's a real emotional toll. Um, and to realize that it's un- untenable is it's uh, it's frustrating because i don't think the public will ever understand well it's profitable yeah i know it's profitable but you just got to look at the math and it's just like fuck there's just no way so i don't think any podcast i don't think any essay will ever be able to encapsulate all the different scenarios that's going through my head and I almost feel like Doctor Strange in, in, in Marvel's Endgame a little bit. Like, fuck, I think I've gone through a million plus scenarios. And this is the only one. So. Yeah. Um. And it, like, going back to Sambar, it's like, fuck. 
we had scheduled to put in a lot of money in not even to the build out of the restaurant. Marge overlooked the the reconstruction of Sambar um, in, in the front of the house. But, you know, there's been a lot of knocked. I've, I've knocked myself at, at Sambar I don't know how many times over the years because of the <laughs> low-hanging pipes. And uh, literally knocked out cold. And it's a it's a it's a it's a crumbling building, and people don't understand. So many of the restaurants in New York City, particularly with the coming new healthcare regulations and the PPE, it's just going to be too hard to produce food in close quarters. And when you already have a failing infrastructure of a building, it's it's just like that's what makes Sambar so special and so motherfucking hard. You are literally fighting the building to make the food, and that's what makes it so hard. Because that menu is evolved because of the building. And it's just taken it 14 years. When I actually took it out, I took a giant loan to build that project in 2006. It needed an update in 2006. And it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it was falling apart in 2006. And we've taken it as far as we can go. And we're talking about a million to a million five bucks to to refurb and then yes we could do that and we've been working with the landlord to figure out how to make it work out i understand his position but it doesn't make sense for us to put that money in with the future of a of a world where it doesn't quite make sense that's not the best use of our proceeds so i have to take the motion out of it on paper it's like well that doesn't make any sense in the world well and and we don't you know, it's not that we have the million to do it. We would be taking out a loan. And so to take out a loan on a business that you have no idea when it's going to reopen, you have no idea what uh, the public's reaction is going to be, you know, even if you are allowed to reopen, uh, how many people are going to come in. Um, it's just taking uh, these massive bets that, you know, we have newer spaces, we have uh, partners who are willing to work with us. And so, what we were trying to do is really just look across the entire portfolio of, of businesses that we've built over the years and say, you know, let's figure out, you know, and by no means do we have any of the answers or how we're going to do this, but what's our best shot? <sighs> These decisions were really hard decisions. And, you know, I think the to Dave's, Dave's point, it's like the hardest thing to do to close these restaurants because they have fought like hell to get to where they are, right? Both concepts started out, uh, uh, you know, if you look at what either of those restaurants were day one versus what they are today, they are immensely improved. They are immensely, uh, immensely uh, better off financially. But at the end of the day, you have to look at you know, every restaurant operates on razor thin margins, but some are thinner than others. And what restaurants can sustain uh, reduced traffic? What restaurants can sustain, um, you know, the additional costs of PPE and a lot of changes we're going to have to make to our physical spaces for them to continue to operate? And the reality is, is just that the numbers don't work. And if you look at something like PPP, um, which, you know, maybe works for some restaurants, but uh, you know, if if you're not using it for, for paychecks and you're using it to help kind of take your space to what it needs to be in this, you know, new safety protocols, new way of being, that's you taking on a loan and taking on a loan uh, that needs to be paid back in two years on a, a concept that already, you know, was, was barely, barely making it. Um, and then layering on debt is just, 
you know, uh, as someone who's who's responsible for the finances of, of this company, but, you know, obviously as well as employees, that's like an extremely difficult place to be put in. Um, and there's just so much uncertainty um, of what even the future looks like in these spaces that um, it's just tough. So, Marge, so I understand, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be one of these people who's just asking, why not this? Why not that? But I, I, I do want to kind of understand the PPP thing because I think that's an issue for all restaurants around the country right now. Um, essentially, you're saying that if you don't use the funds specifically for rehiring staff, it just becomes another loan. If you need that to buy more equipment or to adapt your restaurant in any other way other than staff, it's just more money you owe somebody at the end of the day. Is that is that sort of the gist of what's happening yeah, there? Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously, there's the intent of, of the program is great in that it's uh, providing a paycheck to your staff. But the way that it's at least concurrently configured is that that forgiveness, so even paying your staff, uh, that timeline for that to be forgiven ends in June. And I just look around me and I look at the three phases of opening for Cuomo. I look at uh, where we are in L.A., where we are in Toronto. I look at all of our spaces and that timeline just doesn't make any sense given uh, reopening timelines. So you'd essentially uh, be paying someone right now to then have to let them go again uh, in June when you're still not making a profit and you're still not operating a restaurant. So so in terms of how that's going to help a, a restaurant that that you know, you think it might not be able to survive after that. It's providing no business support. And, you know, really where we found business support is, is with landlords, with partners, people who are willing to work with us and, and find a solution. So by no means, like, I, I guess it's hard to be optimistic right now, obviously, with, with the subject. But by no means are we saying that, you know, no restaurant can make this work. By no means are we saying that 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 the model, the model right now doesn't work. But we have full faith and confidence in in uh, our our remaining restaurants and teams to like figure this out, and and it's not that uh, it's a death sentence uh, for everyone. I think it's just uh, the unfortunate reality that that some restaurants are in better positions to fight this than others. And I think that the hardest thing that we could potentially do is admit that and to be honest with. Uh, where we think we need to be. And, and honestly, like the, the easier decision maybe would be to just, you know, try it, to keep going, to, to potentially lose, lose, uh, uh, money just to kind of save face in this. And I think that we want to be very transparent and, and also, you know, tell our staff as soon as we possibly found out and could that this was the conclusion so that, they can plan their lives and they can figure out what's next as opposed to waiting till reopening, waiting till two weeks after reopening and, and having those conversations then. Um, we're trying to both uh, be, you know, a, a good custodian of, of the business, but at the same time, uh, equally importantly, if not more so, a, a custodian of the staff as well. W will you be able to, to keep any of the staff on or will any of them sort of be folded into the other restaurants or anything like that? I, so for New York, 
absolutely. Um, you know, I think the way we're looking at it, uh, you know, we have these restaurants in New York and, and, you know, we have staff that we're retaining right now. We have some hourly and managers that are, that are helping us figure out what this new normal looks like and going to help us reopen. Um, and we really look at it as like the Avengers, right? Like, I don't care if you work at Co. I don't care if you work at, at Noodle Bar. We're all here to figure this out and, and, and plan the future. So 1000%, um, there, you know, as we are in a position to rehire, which once again, you know, not something that we are now or, or know when, but 1000%, you know, it, it's, it's all one team, one dream trying to figure that out. Um, you know, unfortunately, as I said, like the hardest thing about CCDC is, is by leaving a city, um, you know, you don't have that same optionality. I mean, uh, uh, we would love to have so many of those employees uh, with us elsewhere. We, we have a couple employees who've over the years left CCDC and gone to Major Domo, uh, come to New York City. And, and you know, we would 1000 uh, percent uh, welcome that. But, but understand, you know, that's not always the reality of people's uh, situations. And I, and I know you guys have been doing a lot of other efforts to support the the workers who aren't currently on staff, I, the the blue tape fund and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about some of those efforts? Sure. Yeah. I think that the toughest, as Dave said, like the toughest part about this is, you know, uh, not being in our spaces and being able to directly uh, take care of our staff in that way. And and so we've really been leveraging uh, partners and, and relationships and, and whether it's uh, things like uh, our friends at Shaxbury, uh, donating, um, uh, sales of our, our collaboration or, um, you know, we're, we're going to roll out some, uh, home good products, um, that we've been working on for a while. And, and a portion of those, uh, sales is going to go towards the blue tape fund. And, you know, I think it's just a really, you know, example of, you look at New York City and where we're at and, you know, if we have the ability, you know, friends in Vermont, uh, uh, you know, co-packers in Maryland and areas that are not as hit as hard that are, you know, still operating in a way that we just don't feel safe right now to do in our spaces, um, you know, we're able to provide some continued income. The auction that we did um, uh, last week, you know, how can we creatively uh, keep keep providing when how we've done that for the past 15 years is just not an option. So it's been a, a creative exercise, um, uh, you know, and, and we're just, you know, I would say spending a, a ton of time just trying to think of more um, as we get ready to reopen. Um, so speaking of reopening, is there, do you two have any more clarity uh, than the rest of us on on what's going to happen when, when that might happen or or what steps you guys are taking right now thinking about reopening are you thinking about reopening yeah i mean I, we have to um you know just because uh it's the only way for us to ultimately get to a place where we can rehire um our teams but you know as dave said it, it all starts with safety and and right now the big push is rethinking basically every aspect of a restaurant um you know how are we uh, checking with our with our teams every day before they come in that they feel safe, that they feel fine? Um, you know, what's the new protocol for coming in? And, uh, you know, uh, how are you engaging with, uh, you know, how are you producing food? How are you engaging with guests? What PPE do we need? Um, you know, how do deliveries work? Uh, how do we make sure that everything that touches a restaurant um, 
has kind of a new set of eyes. So that's been the biggest push right now. And it's something we're hoping to share, not just with Momofuku, but, but with everyone, um, you know, hopefully can help provide a tool um, uh, that can help anyone kind of move, move towards reopening. Once we have that, uh, then the next steps are figuring out what's the safest way for us to operate? What's the safest way for us to, to hire back teams and, and, and start, uh, uh, you know, operating in some form or capacity, knowing it's going to be nothing like uh, uh, what it used to be. Um, so we're working on all of that. Um, you know, there's some cities and, and countries that are going to do that a little faster than others. Um, but, but really that base work um, is, is, is everything and, and, you know, operating can go from there. What is that process? Like, I feel like, I wouldn't even begin to know where to start. I feel like you have to invent restaurants with a blank piece of paper right now. Is that what it's like? How are you coming up with those answers? Um, <clears throat> I think this is this answer really does sort of entail what, you know the, the the thought making process as to why we had to you know make some closures and move Sambar, um, and hopefully that's the only kinds of decisions we have to make moving forward. But Maybe not in the sense that the, what we continue to posit to ourselves is if, if, if this kind of change that's happening in the restaurant industry would have taken place over 10 to 15 years, and I personally believe that's to be true, and this was a tough business even in good times, and all of this change happened in two months, so we basically have to imagine that we're in 2035, not 2020. And the question we've been asking ourselves over and over and over again is, what does Momofuku look like in 2035, except that we have to make that evolution now um, and not and wait and change here or there in a sort of linear fashion over 10 to 15 years? We've been asking ourselves and asking the hard fucking question of, what does the restaurant look like in 2035? And, and is it even a restaurant group? Because I think that we'll always do restaurants, but the pain and agony and, and all of the terribleness that's come out of this has made me realize, and I know for Marguerite as well, we're never going to do this ever again. We're gonna, we cannot be this vulnerable ever again. And there's no excuses. And I hope the government helps out, but we cannot operate thinking that the government's going to help out. So we have to be proactively making decisions, thinking that no help is going to come. And, and that's diversifying, that's making sure that not all our eggs are just in the restaurant industry, you know, our majority of our income comes from, you know, restaurants, gross sales, like that has to change. And we have to diversify and um, build restaurants that, whether it's another economic collapse, whether coronavirus comes back again, because guess what, it sort of happened every five years or so, whether it's some kind of man-made disaster, this is going to happen. You know, I've gone through September 11th. I've gone to Sandy. I've gone through the Great Recession. Now, and now it's this in my culinary lifetime. And there's going to be something else. And I will not accept us to ever be exposed ever again. Yeah. You know, Shane, you, you know, you and I were having this conversation the other day, and I, I, I told you this story already, but I was speaking to a, a, a Bay Area chef who was basically saying, 50% occupancy is an impossibility. 70% occupancy is an impossibility. 90% is an impossibility. If my restaurant is not full and I'm sending people away at the door, then I'm dead in the water. And I, I told you that, and I, I think you 
it, it all clicked for me when when you and I talked, and it was like, if that's the case, why would you try to go back to that? <laughs> why, even if we could get you back to 100% capacity, a business that needs that to survive is broken already, I think, is, right. is the crazy thing. Yeah, it's, to- thing. it's totally fucking broken, and that's the thing, is we don't want to hire people back in this environment at the same pay scale. For us, like, how do we set another level within our own employees. And I don't want to bring anyone back at the same levels, but we're going to have to start somewhere to get to that goal. So how do we reimagine the entire economic structure, the entire benefits program? Because not, I'm not just saying leave our restaurants this exposed. I'm never going to fucking leave our goddamn employees this fucking exposed ever fucking again. At least we're going to move heaven and earth to try to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah. So, Marguerite, can I ask you, maybe this is an impossible question to answer, but I, I feel like it, you and Dave are absolutely committed to not just reopening and getting back to business as usual, but reconceiving, reformulating, refocusing the entire company, industry, everything to be something different. It, it, it seems like if you were open for takeout delivery, doing some sort of kind of like half measured things, it would be impossible <laughs> to do that, right? You can't you, to, to take like a half step of reopening now and simultaneously be trying to reconfigure the entire business. Is it helpful at all that you guys are shut down for the safety of everybody? And, and this is a moment to really not come back halfway or, or no. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I guess as for right now, I mean, I was on a call with, uh, with the mayor's office uh, uh, of nightlife and they were talking about, you know, I expressed my concerns about the lack of guidance, the lack of uh, direction on PPE, on protocol uh, for restaurants. And and the response was it's coming. Um, But that's an insane answer to me because restaurants are an essential business and they're operating today. So you have right now, uh, people, uh, you know, Dave uh, talks about this. You call three pizza places. All three have a completely different process, you know, a completely different set of PPE, a completely different way of operating. Um, and right now there's no judge of that. There's no scale of that. There's no direction and there's no enforcement. So to do something right now to me um, is, is just, you know, as Dave said, uh, maybe it's because we're older, but it, I just I, I just can't see it. Um, but to your point about restructuring and rethinking, I mean, I think that you need to take that step back because uh, everything that's, you know, and I, and I think that being said, uh, I don't think anything, I don't think anyone's going to figure anything out in a vacuum. No one's going to be able to uh, on paper, figure this out. The only way it's going to move forward is when it is safe to do so, putting it and implementing it and tweaking and changing and evolving from there. Uh, the same thing as we always talk about when we open a restaurant. And, and literally, I view this as opening for the first time uh, all of our restaurants. We open with our best attempt at what we think people want. We open with our best attempt at um what menu, what steps of service, what style is right. And then if that restaurant looks exactly the same as the first day we open, we made a mistake because we weren't responding or listening or changing fast enough to, to the realities. So I view this as exactly the same. We'll take our first stab. We'll have all of our steps of procedure. We'll have everything laid out. But you know, the people who get this right are going to be the ones that continue to evolve and react to, to what's happening and, and create a model that is what people need. I mean, Dave and I talk about this all the time. 
do people need restaurants? Do people need our spaces? Do people need Momofuku in the way that it currently exists right now? And I think we have to put hubris aside and, and basically say, we need to be whatever everyone wants it to be, because that's all that matters right now and, and bringing our staff back. Um, but, you know, so I, I think it's, it's the planning, but at the end of the day, it is the implementation. It is the trying it out that's going to get to that future that Dave's talking right. about. Yeah, well said, Marge. I, I, you know, I hesitate to say this, but I, <laughs> I look forward, honestly, to the, the kind of creative spirit that's going to emerge from these dark restrictions that are being placed on, on you and every restaurant owner. So I, I know if any industry can do this, and, and Davis said this, if anybody can pull off the impossible, it's, it's people in this restaurant business. And if anybody can recreate, refashion the image of what American restaurants can be, you know, it's the people in the industry. So this is what gives me life. I am so angry right now, you know, but I'm channeling it all into like, oh, we, we gotta, we gotta do this, this, and this. And it doesn't give me excitement. It does. I don't even know if it's necessarily hope, but it's like, okay, you think we've been dealt a bad fucking hand. We're going to win this whole motherfucking tournament. Go fuck off. <laughs> um, I guess the last thing, like sort of speaking of which, you know, looking toward the future, you know, I, I, Dave just hinted a little bit earlier at, at, you know, consumer goods or other ways of diversifying. Is there stuff in the pipeline that I, as a home consumer, can look forward to? Uh, what do you got uh, in the works there? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Dave and I have always said that we don't think of Momofuku as a restaurant group. We, we think of it as, as kind of... Uh, it can evolve and, and, and move and, and be what, what it needs to be. Um, and, you know, pre all of this, you know, we were working on, you know, what does that look like outside of the four walls of our restaurant? Because, you know, as Dave said, uh, a lot of this has just exposed underlying issues that pre-exist uh, any of the current conditions. Um, and so as margins get thinner and thinner, as, as rents go up, as, as uh, you know, the environment's changing. Um, what do people need from from us? And so we've been working on some products that you can cook with from home. Uh, you know, potentially uh, uh, other things as well. But you know, we're looking at it, and whether that's our restaurants providing you uh, meal kits, whether that's uh, things you can ship to your home. Um, you know, Dave has been extremely vocal about the quote unquote ethnic uh, food aisle, and and I think Nielsen still considers soy sauce to be a quote unquote Oriental uh, sauce. Um, so how do we kind of take the, those items and, and kind of move them out of this purgatory into something that's uh, that's actually Actually delicious that, that you want. Um, so, so working on that and, you know, as with anything that we ever make, we don't look at these things as two separate businesses. We don't look at things you cook at home in our restaurants. Everything we've ever produced has been both. It's always been something that's going to give our teams um, at the restaurant new tools and something that is, is equally beneficial to someone at home. So, uh, you know, I don't think there'll be a can of soup with Dave's face on it ever. I think it's always going to be products that we fully back and believe in and, and that can uh, play, whether it's in a professional kitchen or, or you know, in Chris Young's home. My face might have it, just my eyes need to be more slanted. <laughs> <laughs> and a little rice and, patty uh, hat. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, you know, this is our first opportunity to sort of not only try to sell soy sauce, but rugs. We can do oriental <laughs> rugs and oriental soy sauce. We'll be the first soy sauce manufacturer, rug importer, exporter out there. Come get your soy sauce and your oriental rugs. Comes wrapped, wrapped in a rug. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Two for one. Um, yeah. Talk about innovation and using your imagination. <laughs> Don't ever tell me to dream smaller. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess I'm looking forward to that uh, that iteration of Momofuku, the rug and soy sauce. Just expect a depot. very large package from us, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, th- thank you, thank you, Marguerite. I, I know you know your <laughs> days are are packed and taking the time to answer our, my silly questions is, is not at the top of the list, but I, I really appreciate the perspective and getting to check in with you and get your, your perspective on, on how this is all playing out. Well, that was my conversation with Marge. I wanted to give a big thank you to all three of our guests today, Chef Lincoln Carson, Chef Eric Bost, and CEO of Momofuku, Marguerite Mariscal, for sharing with us I know that these podcasts can get difficult, but I think it's important that we talk about these. I don't think I, I know it's important that we continue to talk about these subjects. And uh, my heart goes out to every single one of anyone that's been furloughed or their restaurants have closed because it's it's just, um, it guts me. But um, stay tuned for next week. <laughs> this is a personal one today, guys. 